Hi, and thanks for listening to A Little More Conversation. I'm Ben O'Hara Byrne. Today we meet a father whose journals of his daughter growing up and advice he gave her as she left for college is inspiring other parents to follow suit. We get a reality check on what's really behind any empty grocery store shelves you may be seeing. And a hint, it's not about one policy or one politician. But first, Prime Minister Trudeau announces an extension and expansion of Canada's commitment to Ukraine as the threat of Russian aggression looms large. We ask, is it enough? Prime Minister Trudeau confirming that a military training mission in Ukraine that had been set to expire in March will be extended for another three years and expanded. I've authorized the Canadian Armed Forces to deploy 60 personnel within days to join the approximately 200 women and men already on the ground, with further capacity to increase the number of people on the ground up to 400. Ottawa will also be sending non-lethal defensive military gear and provide further intelligence and cyber defense support. This also includes a provision of non-lethal equipment, intelligence sharing, and support to combat cyber attacks. Our ongoing commitment to Operation Unifier guarantees the Canadian Armed Forces continued support of the security forces of Ukraine so that Ukraine can defend its sovereignty, security, and territorial integrity. Operation Unifier is that training mission in the country that will be extended and expanded. Well, this announcement comes as tensions remain high with more than 100,000 Russian troops massed on the country's border with Ukraine. Joining me now to look into this is Dr. Oral Brown, Professor of International Relations and Political Science at the University of Toronto and a Centre Associate at the Davis Centre for Russian and Eurasian Studies at Harvard University. Welcome to the show, Dr. Brown. Hello. I mean, we've been expecting this announcement in some form for quite a while now. Um, it is expended, is extended and expanded Operation Unifier. Some other uh, things added in, added all up. And what message is it sending tonight? We have to look at this at different levels. At one level, the reality is that Russia is conducting a large-scale psychological war against Ukraine, which could turn into a a kinetic action. And at the moment, it is trying to isolate Ukraine, that is the Kremlin, and to demoralize Ukraine. So any help, of course, is welcome. Any contact with Western countries, any kind of commitment sends a positive message. And for that, I'm sure the Ukrainian government is grateful and looked at it from that perspective. It is something that is positive. But we also have to look at it at another level, and that is that what we would like to make sure is that Vladimir Putin is deterred from launching an attack on Ukraine to take even more territory. He is already illegally occupying Crimea and supporting separatist rebels in eastern Ukraine. Something like 14,000 Ukrainians have already died in this conflict since 2014. Now, in order to deter Russia, Ukraine cannot be viewed by the Kremlin as a soft target. They need more than just diplomacy. Diplomacy is essential, and diplomacy, of course, is preferable to armed conflict because armed conflict can escalate. But diplomacy needs to be backed up with some military uh, dimensions as well. And we, therefore, have the Ukrainian government pleading with the United States with the Europeans, with Canada, they're saying 
that they do not want our troops to fight for them, they would do that fighting because they're fighting for their territory, they're fighting for their nation, but they would like to have defensive weapons. And we in Canada have not come through on that. Yes, we are going to send them uh, binoculars, uh, uh, thermal binoculars. We're going to send them tactical medical bags, some body arm- armor, some metal detectors. But we're not sending them anti-tank uh, uh, weapons. We're not sending them anti-aircraft weapons. United States is allowing a trickle of that, perhaps too little, too late. I hope not too late. The British are uh, delivering some javelins. But despite the pleas of Ukraine, and they really asked for three things. They had asked for defensive lethal weapons so they can try to deter Russia. They had asked for enhanced sanctions because that is uh, also very, very important. And they asked for the continuation of the military, military training mission. We only delivered on one out of three. So basically, we have done the minimum we could do, very far from the maximum that we are capable of doing, and that might send the kind of message that would be necessary to deter Russian military action. Dr. Brown, when you look at this, I mean, one of the conversations I had with the defense minister a little while back, Anita Anand, was this line that Canada has been trying to walk for a very long time, which is being seen to support Ukraine publicly, uh, given the diaspora in this country and the pressures that exist there, while at the same time, both trying to deter and not provoke Russia. And that's a very fine balance. So I wonder, has Canada, does Canada continue to walk that line? And is it the right line to be walking now? It may be a little bit too late for that. It sounds uh, almost like kind of elegant international relations logic, you know, a fine line. The, the defense minister will talk about that between provocation and and uh, deterrence. But we would not be at the point we are at if there had been adequate deterrence. If the United States had acted much earlier and there were, had been different signals, every time Mr. Biden has negotiated with the Russians, there has been escalation rather than de-escalation. So, in fact, the West collectively has to enhance uh, deterrence. And uh, Russia will always claim that it's provoked. It is using the Soviet lexicon, where whenever the act is uh, as a result of responding to provocation, aggression is defense, uh, occupation is liberation. So we have to be very wary about taking at face value the declaratory or propagandistic statements that Moscow is making, we have to look at what is happening on the ground. And what is happening on the ground is that Russia has already committed a flagrant aggression in Ukraine in 2014. It illegally uh, annexed Crimea. This was uh, not just a violation of Ukrainian territory, but it was an assault on the very uh, central precepts of international law. At the moment, Mr. Biden is negotiating, basically trying to get uh, the Kremlin not to take more Ukrainian territory rather than reverse the aggression that has already taken place. So this kind of attempt to draw this fine line, we don't want to provoke the Russians, that ship has sailed. The Russians have 125,000 troops. They are forcing the West to negotiate with a gun to our heads. 
which is a kind of violation of any good negotiations because you're not going to get a very good deal if you are, so to speak, under the gun. When looking at what was announced today, um, you know, the debate over, over more over lethal weapons has been, has been going on for quite a while. The sanctions one puzzles me, though, because it, it strikes me that sanctions would be relatively easy to have, to have imposed. And that would have made two out of three instead of just one out of three that the Ukrainian government had been asking us for. Well, uh, you know, sanctions uh, have consequences. If we think uh, that sanctions only punish the target, we have to understand that sanctions are a blunt instrument and there are costs to sanctions. And if you're going to apply sanctions effectively, you have to be willing to absorb the costs. And this is where countries like Germany have been an enormous obstacle to effective sanctions because the Germans still import vast quantities of hydrocarbons from Russia. They have become very dependent on energy, something like 40 percent of the uh, natural gas that they're using is coming uh, from Russia. And so you cannot have sanctions that don't cause some pain to the West. We have to accept that. And uh, that has to be part of this larger strategic approach. We use a multidimensional uh, approach to basically deter, uh, deter action. And this is why, if I may just go back for a second to the defensive lethal weapons, it is not just the substance of it, but it's also the symbolism of it, because it sends a message to Moscow that the West is willing to act strongly to defend a country that is under the threat of absolutely unjust aggression from Russia, continuing uh, aggression. So the entire package has to be part of this larger strategy. And the West, as it is led right now by the United States, does not seem to have that strategy. And Canada would have an opportunity to to play a leadership role. Britain is beginning to do that. We could play that role as well, because we are in North America, we have tremendous influence with the United States, and we may be missing that opportunity. Once the Russians invade, and then we just try to incur some insurgency, it's a little late. This is the time to do everything that is possible. This is why uh, we have to take into account what does it take to deter the Russians? And it's a psychological relationship. We have to force him into a calculation where Vladimir Putin becomes convinced that whatever he may gain from additional aggression would generate a cost that would be larger than, uh, uh, than the gain that uh, he hopes for. And he usually looks for soft targets. Uh, uh, he plays, uh, we think he's playing chess, but in fact he's playing poker. And uh, uh, he needs to be made to understand the magnitude of the cost. And we have not been very effective. And sadly, uh, though the Ukrainians will undoubtedly express gratitude for whatever they get from Canada, I get the sense that there's very deep disappointment in Kiev uh, with the fact that Canada uh, really has not come through in a way that... uh, many had expected. Dr. Brown, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. You're welcome. This is a really nice story coming up. The video on YouTube is only five and a half minutes long. It's called The Letter. 
It is a tribute to fathers from around the world as they offer advice at perhaps one of the most crucial times in any child's life, the moment when they head out into the world on their own, either to a school or a job or a life away from their parents. It is a message about empathy and empowerment, passion and purpose, acceptance and ambition. Hey, sweetie, I want you to know that I couldn't be more proud of you. You were leaving home and heading on to your big adventure. Know that I'm truly excited for you. These moments you are about to experience will define the kind of human you will become. And so, I wanted to give you some advice that I hope you'll carry with you and use whenever you feel like you need some of your old man's guidance. That short film, The Letter, is a reflection of words found on the Legacy Journal app, all of it inspired by the words and work of one single father, Ken Wimberly, who joins me now from Fort Worth, Texas. Welcome to the show, Ken. Hey, Ben. Thanks so much for having me. This is a remarkable story because it it starts years ago, way, way back, 18, more than 18, I guess now. How did it all begin for you? Yeah, crazy. My oldest daughter is now 19 years old and a freshman in college. And when she was just a little baby, you know, less than maybe six months old, I started thinking of what I could do to just make sure that time didn't slip away and you know, memories fade as I, as I feared they might. And so I started a journal for when she was 10 months old. And I wanted something that I could stick with uh, throughout her lifetime with the intention that when she graduated high school, I would give her the stories of her life as kind of told through my eyes. And uh, so I stuck with it on a monthly rhythm, but you know, I'd write usually one entry a month, sometimes a little more, sometimes I'd miss a month. But uh, I just told the story of what it was like to be a new dad, what it was like to experience the love that she was bringing into my world. I wrote about the good times, the bad times, the struggles, the, uh, yeah, the, the business failings and the business successes. And uh, it's, it just was a beautiful thing that I kept up through through her life and then through her brother and, and now her other brother, who's, who's six years old. I've been journaling to each of these children for all of that time. And uh, last year, Grace graduated high school, and I had the great honor and privilege of giving her those 18 years worth of the stories of her life. Uh, congratulations, by the way, for our listeners won't know this, but Grace is going to Auburn, which is, uh, I saw you get the hat, which is uh, in, a, in a news story, which was really, really touching. Um, what was your reaction to receiving? I mean, I, I gather it was about 270 some odd journal entries when you gave them to her. What was her reaction to this sort of chronicling of her life through your eyes? Well, it was beautiful. And I actually recorded the moment when I gave it to her because it was such a big deal for me. I'd been anticipating this for years. And she walked into our living room. She's like, why are there cameras set up in here? I threw three cameras set up to capture the angles. And I sat her down on the couch and I had written her a letter uh, just describing my love for her, my appreciation for the beautiful woman she had become and what she'd meant to me, uh, just being her dad and having the honor of being her dad. And it was, it was a super touching moment. She cried. I cried. Uh, she loved receiving it. It was so cool to watch her go through a lot of those entries and just it sparked memories that she had forgotten all about. And frankly, I had forgotten about a lot of those times. And it was cool to go through those together and, and experience just you know, parts of our life that, that we, we haven't been uh, and revisited in quite a while. 
This is also something, and, and I'd love to get to the part of the letter, that the advice that you give as she heads off, but yep. you've also tried to encourage other parents, other fathers to also chronicle um, like you have. Yeah, 100%. As, as I was going through this you know, early on in the first couple of years when I was doing that, it was just a really private journey that I was doing on my own. And um, as, as a few years went by, I started sharing that with more and more uh, certainly fathers and then even mothers as well, and just parents and letting them know that because it was really meaning a lot to me. I was, I was getting as much out of it as I'd ever hoped to gift to my children just from slowing down and capturing those memories. And so I shared it with others, and the cool thing was more and more people started doing it on their own, and they'd even you know, send me pictures of their own journal entries and what they were making and sharing me, uh, with me how important it, it had been for them. And you know, those stories that they were sharing with me and the activities and the actions they were taking is what really inspired me later to create Legacy Journal, the kind of app we've created that helps. Now we've got tens of thousands of parents around the world in 70 countries using it. But, uh, yeah, it, it's just it's been so important. And the more people that use it, the more people that share with me how important it is uh, to them as they go through this process to to write down the little moments or capture the little memories or, or the little lessons that they want to make sure that they don't slip away. You must hear some remarkable stories, Ken, from, from fathers around the world. What are some of the things – it strikes me even in reading, sort of listening, watching that video – that so many of them are profound at the same time, so many of them deal with sort of very everyday kind of stuff that I guess sometimes we don't stop to think about enough or don't stop to remember enough. So it's good to write it down. It really is. And I think, especially in today's day and age, there's so much, I just say data coming at us from, from, you know, nonstop news networks to constant emails and, and social media and reminders and dings and everything coming at us. It's easy to just get caught up in routine and what I kind of call live on autopilot for, for a lot of our lives. And I've, you know, I've found myself that way at many different points in my life. And it's important to kind of step back every once in a while and slow down, celebrate our wins, uh, celebrate our little victories. And then you know, again, writing down some of them so that we don't just forget, you know, with all that data, at least for me, that uh, I can't remember things like I used to many years ago. So uh, it, it's important to, to have these things written down. Ken, was there anything in the journal entries that you gave to your daughter before she, uh, when you finally presented them to her, was there anything in there that one or two things that really stood out to you that you'd kind of forgotten about, but were really magical when you saw them again? Yeah, there were a couple that were, you know, there's, there's one or two that were just so funny in, in moments of shared laughter that we had that I had forgotten about. And as I went through those again, it reminded me of the importance of laughter in a relationship um, because it was just like the inside baseball that we had between each other and, and uh, little comments we would make that was so funny. And then another that was super special and I really hadn't forgotten about it, but it was super special to share was, you know, when Grace was 12 years old, she came and sat down in my lap. As I was working in my office, she came sit down in my lap and she looked at me and said, daddy, when I grow up, I want to marry a man just like you. And it absolutely melted my heart. It just it validated everything I'd been trying to do to be a great dad. And uh, I immediately, you know, when, when she went down for bed that evening, I immediately uh, opened up her journal and you know, wrote in that how impactful that was for me, how important it was for me, and, you know, that I will treasure those words until the day I die. 
We're speaking with Ken Wimberly about uh, the Legacy Journal app, something that uh, that he created after years of chronicling his own children's, uh, you know, as his own children were raised, and also something called The Letter, which is a, a movie that's been put together, a short movie on YouTube, using some of the, um, the inspired, really, from the words shared by fathers, parents around the world on that app. Um, I wanted to quickly talk to you about the whole project and then get into the details of the letter right after a quick break. But tell me a bit about how this came about. You provided, I gather, there is a letter that was provided to your daughter as she went off. Yeah, it's actually the final journal entry I made for her. And it was titled Advice from Your Dad. And so I had this thought or vision that I wanted to send her off with with as much good advice as I could. I've hoped that I've provided lots of good advice to her life, but I wanted something that she could read kind of over and over again. And I knew, at least I felt that I didn't have all of the advice that I wanted to give, you know, inside me or, or just you know, at my disposal. So what I did is I reached out to my network. I'm, I'm part of a dad's group called Front Row Dads. I'm part of a men's mastermind called Go Abundance. Lots of involved dads in that. And I reached out to those two networks and just my broader network of friends. And I asked, and I asked on social media, I said, hey, if you're, child was about to leave the nest and head out onto the adventure on their own, you know, what's the best piece of advice that you'd want to pass on? And what I received was just beautiful. And I summarized uh, much of that advice into this last entry for grace of titled advice from your dad. And the cool thing was that was the very first entry she read when I gave her the journal entry. So it it was quite beautiful. We're speaking with Ken Wimberly in Fort Worth, Texas, about the many years he spent journaling his children's lives when they were really young, three. He then finally handed over some 270 journal entries to his daughter, Grace, as she headed off to university. The last entry, words of advice from dad, inspired by words from advice or words from many other dads gathered uh, through an app that he's created to allow parents or fathers and mothers um, to journal such things. It also inspired a short film called The Letter. And uh, just as we left off, we were talking about the last journal entry, that letter given to Grace as she headed off. What was your advice? There's so many great words in that video. What was your advice to to your daughter? She made this huge step. Yeah, I I kind of summarized a number of things in there, and you know, first told her how special it was with the seemingly countless date nights that we had and shared together as she was growing up, and how that I will treasure that forever, and I want her to remember those things forever, and. Uh, but then I, I, I listed probably about 35 bits of advice for her, uh, some of which was my own, some of which was curated from all of these other people. I'll give you a handful of those because they're, they're really impactful. I, I hope they'll, they're impactful for her as she leans on these words, uh, as she's venturing out on her own. And you know, One was measure your own worth. Your worth is measured only by you, not by others. In other words, define your values. Write them out and own them. Filter your life through those values and let your actions be guided by them. I was in the Navy, so this one is, is for my Navy days. Early is on time, and on time is late. Remember this. And then the better prepared you are, the more luck will show up in your life. I tell her that failure is okay, and in fact, it's a necessary and really important part of our growth as long as we learn from each failure and build upon it. And then to paint outside the lines, and it's okay to get messy and explore. And then I go on for, for a bunch more. There's probably about 30 in there. Just things, and I think I ended it with one of the most important, which is, you know, love yourself. You are a gift to the world. So uh, just 
little words of hopefully wisdom, advice, guidance that she can lean on in, in times when she might need it. It must have been such a help given how important that move is to share that with her. Uh, absolutely. Uh, to to sit there and, and share this with her and really to to be a dad is such a gift, and, I, and I've, I'm, I'm blessed to be uh, surrounded by so many other great, um, loving, committed fathers. And uh, like, like I mentioned, with a couple of groups of dads that we just try to lift each other and help each other to uh, be there and be the impact in our children's lives that we hope we can be. So, uh, but yeah, to be able to share these, these little words of advice, to share the time with her uh, before that time was gone, as is, is you probably often heard we've only got 18 summers with our children and you know for grace those 18 summers are up for me right now given your experience for any dad listening out there um what would you tell them if they haven't started chronicling if they're thinking about writing this stuff down but maybe haven't gotten around to it what advice do you give well for one is probably most importantly is it, it doesn't have to be or seem like some monumental experience to just you know, occasionally take the time to slow down and write down either your story of, of your, your own history, some things that your children don't know about you, share that with them, share it in writing so that when you're gone or when they leave your house, it's something they have to take with them. Um, and the other is, is make it a habit. Uh, the little once a month ritual that I got myself into to do it just once a month it wasn't a big deal to spend you know, 15 minutes once a month writing down a little bit. Um, and so just to, to actually force that and make it a habit was, was a really uh, important thing. And, and the other is just recognize the importance of this. Uh, you know, my mother passed away last year. And as we sorted through all of her belongings, I found three letters that were written to my mother from my uncle. So from her brother um, about their parents, my grandparents. And those letters were just a wonderful story about the kind of upbringing that they had and about their parents and about really my grandmother's support of my grandfather as he was venturing out to start a business on his own and uh, you know, try to, to, to build his career and, and do the things that he later went on to do and really the support that she provided him. And those were stories that I had never heard before. And I can tell you that the most valuable thing I was left with you know, from my mother's passing were those three letters right there. So for, for us, if we can write a few stories of our own lives, one day when we're gone, I promise it will be the most valuable things we can leave our loved ones. Well, my condolences for your mom, Ken. And, and I just, I guess I had a last question. Are you still writing advice to Grace, even as she's gone off to Auburn? A hundred percent. In fact, that's, that's what I wrote in that advice from dad uh, letter to her was, I said, you know, know that I will write to you until the day I die. Um, and, you know, hoping my words will comfort you for, uh, for eternity one of these days. So just to remind our listeners, the Legacy Journal app is an area where you can, something you can use to chronicle? Uh, yeah, a hundred percent. And it's, it's live available on the App Store and Google Play Store. you learn more about it at LegacyJournal.app.app. And uh, it's, a, it's a free app, free to download, free to use. Uh, it's a freemium model right there. And it's really been a wonderful uh, tool for a lot of parents just quickly and easily, like right when something happens or right when you snap a picture, open it up, document a couple of quick lines about it. 
something someone just recently started doing, and now I've I've copied that, but I thought it was beautiful. Snapping pictures of your kids' artwork because I don't know a lot of us have parent guilt when we throw away our kids' artwork. I know I do, mm-hmm. and so I just started snapping a picture of Kai's artwork when he comes home. He's in kindergarten right now. And it's been a great way to uh, to quickly save some of those little things forever. Ken, it's been lovely to speak to you. Thanks so much for sharing all that you've done. Um, a really fascinating and inspirational as well. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. That was Ken Wimberly from Fort Worth, Texas, creator of the Legacy Journal app, a journaler of his own child's upbringings, including his eldest daughter, Grace, who he presented with more than 270 journal entries, including a letter to her, advice from dad as she left for university last year. We've been seeing a lot of politicians raising the alarm these days about the state of the nation's grocery store shelves. Well, I like to say partisan politics is easy. I understand supply chains are not. So let's push the political agendas aside and get a good look at what's really happening. To help us do that, I'm joined by Gary Sands. He's the senior VP of the Canadian Federation of Independent Grocers, representing some 6,900 grocers across the country. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Gary, I know it's not an illusion because people are seeing different things depending on where they are. There are some supply chain issues in the system right now. There, they definitely are. There's a number of factors. It's almost like the, the perfect storm. I mean, we've had Omicron has been ripping through the entire supply chain over the last uh, few weeks. Um, that has um, added to uh, the labor shortages that we've already been experiencing, particularly over the last couple of years because of the pandemic. Uh, and that's the absenteeism rates. They're ranging from about 15 to 25% throughout the supply chain. And in grocery, that's what we're seeing too, 20 to 25%. And um, that, that, you know, all of those things together is leading to product shortages and, and delays. And in addition to um, the challenge that we faced, obviously, with, with Omicron is compounded by other factors. I mean, this is January. It's Canada. So there's, there's challenges with, with the weather. In British Columbia, we had catastrophic flooding um, to the, infra- you know, damage to the infrastructure. In fact, some of the BC grocers, I'm sure, could be forgiven if they saw the four horsemen of the apocalypse pull, pull up into the parking lot to say, it's just another day at the office. Um, and, and, of course, we had the recent vaccination mandate implemented by both the Canadian and U.S. governments. And again, um, that's compounded the, the difficulties that we're, we're already facing. We, we actually don't oppose the mandate at all, but we're aligned with, I think, most of the other parts of the industry, the supply chain is saying that should have been pushed back by at least two to three weeks. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I've always noticed is that partisan politics is simple and supply chains are not. Um, right. so, so do you have an idea of what impact the mandate is having? Because we've seen a lot of politics around the impact it might be having on grocery store shelves. It's just really difficult to come up with a percentage or point to any one thing. It's just, again, it's the cumulative impact of all of these things together. I mean, the Canadian Trucking Alliance tells us that 90% of their truckers are vaccinated. So um, the rest of them are, I suppose, on this freedom convoy, which we think would be a food convoy, not a freedom convoy because of challenges that we're facing. But it's, it really is an impossible question to, to answer. And I, I think it's disingenuous of anyone, politician or anyone else, to point their finger at one thing and say, aha, having supply shortages and point to an empty shelf. It's just not the reality. There's just so many things 
that are impacting us. And that's the reality. Where are stores having trouble keeping up? Uh, I read an interesting quote today that, you know, the Canadian food, st- food system rides on the back of a truck, particularly, uh, you know, in, in the winter. Where are, where are your members having trouble keeping the shelves stocked these days? Uh, the top ones that we're seeing right now uh, are obviously fruit and vegetables, especially in Canada. Uh, it, again, it's January, so we don't have that domestic production to augment the shortfalls. Uh, that we're experiencing with with imports. So that's top of the list. We're also seeing cereal, soups, and spices are, are you know, uh, in short supply. But I, I want to make it clear that it's hit and miss. I mean, I'll look at it just from the perspective of the independent grocers. So you have 6,900 independent grocers in Canada. Most of them are in a myriad of semi-rural, rural, and remote communities in this country. So what they could be getting on their truck this week could be much different than what the chain in Victoria or Vancouver or Toronto or Montreal gets. So we're seeing different products shorted, shorted in different parts of the country. So um, yesterday, believe it or not, in Northern Ontario, meat was an issue. Uh, in, in Newfoundland, it was dairy products. So again, it's, this is a big country and we're experiencing different things. But if there was one thing in common I would put fruit and vegetables at the top of the list, produce. And I'm back with Gary Sands, Senior Vice President of the Canadian Federation of Independent Grocers, for a reality check on the state of the country's grocery store shelves with all the politics and finger pointing. We left off talking about the complexities of supply chain issues and how shortages will show up differently across the country, if at all. And uh, Gary, you were about to explain how you can have a yogurt shortage in Newfoundland, but a steak shortage in Northern Ontario. Because there's, it's a very, um, it's an interdependent, interconnected, but also complex supply chain that we have in Canada. Everybody has their own supplier. So you have a different supplier, you have a different vendor. Um, it, it, it's just who you're dealing with. So even, even in Newfoundland, for example, a lot of the product, it's, it becomes more difficult in the winter months to get across. A lot of product is actually shipped to Newfoundland by ferry. Well, that's, that's not easy all the time in the winter. So some of those challenges we, we tend to forget in different parts of the country. And again, weather can impact different parts of the country at different times. And particularly, again, for the rural and remote communities, that's even more of a challenge. That can be, we, we, we've had members report to us where they haven't had a truck this week. So for that community, not just for that store, but for that community, that means no replenished whatever is coming in because usually you're looking for cost efficiency. So a lot of stuff will come in on the one truck for smaller stores. Some of the truckers in that convoy could certainly be doing some of those interprovincial or in provincial deliveries these days, I suspect. Um, I'm speaking with Gary Sands, vice senior vice president of the Canadian Federation of Independent Grocers. We're talking about uh, what we're seeing supply chain issues uh, for grocery stores across the country and what it really looks like on grocery store shelves. Do you see any relief um, in the near term? Uh, we do. Uh, we uh, have been in contact and, and are part of the discussions with governments across the country and with science tables. And we are being told that, that all the governments are telling us we're seeing positive signs, actually, that the trajectory for Omicron could be headed on a downward trend in the next few weeks. And that by the way, is one of the reasons why we asked for the trucker vaccination mandate just to be pushed back for a couple of weeks. It'll make it coincide with that downturn. 
So we're, we see this as temporary. And again, there's just a couple of messages I, I, would, I would give to people. Yes, you are seeing shortages. And, you know, you might not get the same quality of, 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 uh, of your, you know, brand that you want, or you might have to, you know, not get the same quantity that, that you want, but the food's going to be there. Our supply chain in Canada is strong. We showed that in 2020. And I think if one of the lessons that we learned from 2020 is panic buying doesn't help anyone and it hurts everyone. And we don't want to see a resumption of that. You know, and the first people to ask would be those people who bought toilet paper till last until 2027. Um, so, you know, this, this is not going to be a permanent or long-term issue that we face. Uh, and I'm no, by no means when I say that, am I diminishing or trying to minimize the issues that we're, we're facing? I mean, the cost increases that we're being uh, hit with now, and I'm talking about the independent grocers uh, for uh, 30, 35, 40% increase in cost, those are going to be passed on to the consumer. That's unfortunate, and we're sorry about that. But uh, in retail grocery with margins of 1.5 to 2%, you don't have to be an economist to know that you can't sustain that kind of, of, of increase without passing it back uh, to the consumer. Uh, if you don't, you're not going to be an independent grocer next month. You're going to be out of business. Simple as that. So that is a big watch out for consumers. Certainly. I mean, going, I mean, the shelves may be more plentiful going into the spring and summer, but you are expecting some price increases to coincide with that. Yes. Yes. There's, 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 it's just, as I said, I'm telling you exactly what we're hearing from our members and those increases are already coming through. And by the way, Trucking costs are going up by two, sometimes three times what they normally have have been, and that's that's not you know speculation. Those are the bills that our members are getting now when they're getting something received. Again, that has to be passed on. Um, you do have a meeting coming up on Monday. There is a federal summit on Monday on supply chain issues. What will you be telling the federal government that needs to be done to help help out you and your and your membership? I think the, the, the main message we're going to be delivering is to remind them that, that the independents, as I said, are in communities that you know, are semi-rural, rural, remote communities. We also service a number of indigenous communities, and there's no other grocery store in that community. That's it. So if we're having supply issues and pricing in, issues and product shortages, delays, whatever it is, we need to keep a closer eye on that as a country, not just as an industry, but it's incumbent upon governments to be paying very, very close attention to that. So, for example, if trucking costs are going up by two to th- two to three times what they normally are, governments need to be asking some tough questions of the trucking industry, to be candid with you. Um, are truckers getting two and three times in, an increase in pay? I don't know. Maybe they are. We need to know that because on behalf of those communities that we serve, we have to be able to explain to the consumer why those prices are going up. And I would hope that would be a, a message when we deliver it, that governments will be, will be listening to on Monday. And we, we want to share that with, with the rest of the supply chain. Sometimes we forget that, you know, for those of us who live in cities, um, this is a big country out there. It has, you know, weather challenges, transportation challenges, and let's keep that in mind. Uh, we have an obligation to treat everybody equally in terms of food supply, or else we have a food security issue in this country. 
Gary Sands, Vice President of the Canadian Federation of Independent Grocers. Thank you so much for your time and your perspective on this. Thank you very much for having me.